Well, I wonder for how many of us this commandment that we're going to look at today is perceived as the weirdest one of all. And I wonder that because, you know, the first three commandments that we've already looked at have this direct relation to how we interact with God. And then whether you know this or not, the next six commandments that we're going to look at in the new year have direct relationship to how we interact with other people. And they're kind of simple and straightforward and easy to understand. But, you know, today's commandment is kind of the pivot commandment, to use some popular language. And uh, it applies... Uh, in a way that maybe some of us are, are kind of uncertain, because today's commandment is, of all things, to observe the Sabbath. That's what we're talking about today. Taking a day off is actually a Ten Commandment level deal. And before you wonder why, let's appreciate the, the fullness of this from the Bible's perspective, because in the scriptures, it's like a huge deal. Later on in the book of Exodus, in fact, it describes violating the Ten Commandments and, and especially violating this particular Sabbath-keeping command, commandment as death penalty worthy. Can you imagine two death row inmates, one saying to the other, what are you in here for? Well, murder. What about you? Oh, I skipped a Sunday off. I mean, like it feels kind of ridiculous or, or maybe maybe over extreme. And even in the New Testament, we see churches and groups of Jesus followers, like uh, in the book of Romans, for example, we've talked about this before, who are on the verge of splitting over arguing about whether or not, as followers of Jesus, you have to still observe the Sabbath. I mean, in a world like ours, things are pretty, pretty polarized these days. And I, I wonder if we could ever imagine, you know, of all of the like vaccine arguments or things that we divide over these days, if we could ever imagine people arguing over whether you need to take a day off or not. And I know for some of us, we might actually have to not imagine because we were around back on June 3rd in 1992, where the provincial government finally relinquished an 85-year-old law in our province that was the very beginning of what we referred to back then as Sunday shopping actually the product of a national law that had been rescinded in 1985 called the Lord's Day Act. It was the Federal Lord's Day Act. It was rescinded in 1985, and then it took some seven extra years before it got rescinded in Ontario. And in that period of time, if you were alive and around the conversation in our society, and especially maybe in the church, even in churches like ours, you know that this was a hotly contested issue of whether you could work on Sundays or shop on Sundays, which by definition caused other people to work, or whether you could commit the most heinous offense, playing sports on Sundays. And so I wonder, you know, for some of us, uh, if we wonder what the big deal is, because in our culture, it doesn't really seem to be that big a deal today. Although a generation ago, it was a huge deal. And in the scriptures, it seems like at some level, it's a life or death level deal. So what's the big deal? Why is observing a Sabbath like Ten Commandment level worthy? Well, that's what we're going to look at today uh, in Exodus chapter 20. And in the passage we're going to study uh, in this fourth commandment, in this uh, first section, first half of the Ten Commandments that we're going to look at, um, the passage is broken down into three chunks. There's uh, kind of the statement of command, and then there's the specificity or the description of what the command kind of looks like. And then there's the rationale for it. 
There's the statement, the specificity, and then the, the rationale for it. And so beginning in verse 8, we're going to take a look, first of all, just at the statement itself, where it says there, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments. And when we're referring to this word Sabbath, if you're uh, not familiar from a faith or from a church perspective, the word Sabbath literally means to cease. And so a Sabbath day is a day of ceasing all of the regular things that we, you would do on all of the other days. Okay, quite simple. And to remember it, the verse says to remember it. This isn't just like a, a, a cognitive you know, activation of our memories, like you're recalling a phone number. To remember it is an active observance of the Sabbath for the entire duration of the day. And when you do that, the passage says it, it keeps it holy. You observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. The word holy, we've already studied in this series, is to set apart or to be set apart. And appreciating that in Israel's time, they were the only nation or people to observe a law like this. That certainly would have distinguished them from the cultures and societies and, and nations around them. And so the commandment is simply to remember or observe the ceasing activity for an entire day in order to be set apart or to treat a day set apart in this way. And so uh, getting to the specificity then in the next verse, in verse nine, it says this, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. And in the specificity, I want us to uh, just kind of pick out two key ideas. The first is to observe the cyclical nature of the Sabbath-keeping law. It wasn't just a one-off thing that you were supposed to obey, you know, once in a while or once in your life. It was actually part of a larger rhythm where you would get all your work done for six days and then cease work for one day, and then do all of your work for six days, and again, take a day off for one day, and work for six, and day off for six, almost like inhaling and exhaling, like the rhythm of breathing. It was a rhythmical kind of a thing, week in and week out. It wasn't just a one-off day. The other thing I want us to observe is how egalitarian this law is, meaning how it applied to absolutely everything and everybody, no matter what your class or kind of status in society. You know, the, the, the law applied to everyone in every situation, which meant that you, you couldn't just make an excuse that you couldn't observe it because, you know, the boss called you in sick. This applied both to you and the boss who was calling you into, into work. And so you, you, couldn't, you couldn't say that you couldn't observe the Sabbath because someone else gave you this excuse. It applied to everybody equally. I once heard someone describe this as the emergency break on the exploitation of people, right? It, it was a, a kind of a, a way to push back against oppressing other people because it applied in a full and complete way to absolutely everybody equally. So if you're wondering, you know, what the reason behind this was, it's described then at the end of this section in uh, verse 11 of Exodus 20, when it says this, it says, for, or because, in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is obviously referring to the creation narrative in the first couple chapters of the Bible in the book of Genesis. And in this rationale, there are two things that I want us to notice. 
The first is that one of the reasons to observe the Sabbath is because it's part of God's created order. It's part of the way that he designed the world and especially his prized creation in humanity to live and to work. And so observing a Sabbath is part of the way God made us. Observing the Sabbath is part of what it means to be fully human. At the same time, notice that in this creation narrative, it actually refers to the behavior to the very nature of God as well. And so it's not just being fully human, it's also in mirroring the image of God or living out God's image-bearing qualities in our lives that we observe it to be in that sense godlike or to be fully alive. It's actually of God for you and I to observe this Sabbath day as a regular rhythm and to experience this rhythmic rest of God in our lives as well. At the end of the day, that's what the Sabbath is intended to do and to be for you and I, not just to mirror what God does, but to adopt who God is and to live out his rhythmic restfulness in our lives. The Sabbath is a gift of God's rhythmic restfulness to you and to me. And in that sense, I hope that we can appreciate that the whole design of the Sabbath is not just this rule to obey, to like oppress or repress us. It's not restrictive, it's promotive. It's something that God intends to be for us, not against us, which is something Jesus affirmed in Mark chapter two. He says in verse 27, that the Sabbath was made for man or for people, not people for the Sabbath. The Sabbath, in living out and embracing God's rhythmic restfulness, is ultimately something that's to bring us life and to allow us to experience the fullness of life, the fullness of what it means to be godlike and the fullness of what it means to be human, not to rob or restrict us from the very best of life. You might not fully appreciate this. I I didn't for some time until I started to understand this from an athletic perspective at first, uh, back when I was in high school. I've told this story before, but it's worth repeating. When a couple of twins transferred to our school and started to train with our long distance running group, And when they transferred to our school, we met with them and they wanted to know what our uh, kind of training program was like. And so I walked them through the different days that we did workouts and the different days that we did recovery runs. And then I explained to them that every single Friday we took the day off. When I shared that with them, they had this look of like horror and indignation, wondering why it was that we took a day off. And I didn't really have an answer for them. In fact, I didn't really know why they were even asking the question in the first place until they started to help me understand that to take a day off every week actually added up over the course of a calendar year to 52 days off running every year. They looked at me and they said, do you not realize that that's seven and a half weeks of no running? How are you gonna get better and develop as an athlete if you're just gonna forefoot running and training for seven and a half weeks a year? And I never really thought about that before. And so that evening I called my coach and I asked him, I said, why do we take Fridays off? He said, what do you mean? And I explained this math and this logic that these twins had kind of walked me through. And I said, you know, how do you feel about us taking seven and a half weeks off a year? How are we going to get better if we're forfeiting seven and a half weeks of, of running and training? 
He said, but I don't, I don't look at it that way. This was the game-changing response. He said, I don't look at it that way. He said, I don't see it as seven and a half weeks of no training. I actually see it as 52 weeks of good training. 52 weeks of healthy training because he helped me understand the complementary nature of stress and rest in growth and human development. And at the end of the day, that's what we've got to understand about God's design for our lives, that our flourishing and our health is the product of a rhythm of stress and rest. The equation is that growth or health equals stress plus rest, not just stress plus stress plus more stress on top of more stress. That leads to a burnt out, worn down version of ourselves. And we think about the context of where this commandment sits in the Ten Commandments and what the Ten Commandments ultimately are, which Mike did a really good job a few weeks ago of walking us through. The Ten Commandments are not just some random rules to obey to restrict us of a quality of life. The Ten Commandments are the terms of a covenant relationship that God wanted to establish with people. They're the terms of what it means to live in this reciprocal relationship of love with God. And it shouldn't surprise us then that one of the terms of living out this reciprocal relationship of love with God would be experiencing the rhythmic routine of his restfulness because that rest on top of all the days of work and on top of all the stress in our lives allows us to be the best version of ourselves. How can you live out a, a covenant relationship of love well if you're in the worst, most burnt out, most worn down place? The whole idea is to be the best version of yourself. That's why the Sabbath is part of the Ten Commandments and one of the terms of this covenant relationship that we have with God. And so as we think about that, as we ca capture that vision for what the Sabbath-keeping law is ultimately intended to be in our lives today, it makes us wonder why it's so hard for some of us to live out. I know for many of us, we find this profusely frustrating. Maybe, first things first, because the Bible is very nondescript about how practically to actually live this out. The Bible says to observe the Sabbath, even says that it's like death penalty worthy if you don't. <laughs> but it never gives a whole lot of description on what a Sabbath is to look like. And some of us are just plagued with guilt in how we try to organize and experience the Sabbath. And it can become just this experience of frustration and failure again and again, especially when you take into account the humanness of our lives. The fact that life happens and many of us have all kinds of other responsibilities, you know, even for other people. And of course, when other circumstances are thrown on us or crisis kind of stares us in the face and we can't control things, it becomes exponentially more difficult to live out a Sabbath in a real life, regular routine. And so if you're wondering at a practical level how to do this, I'd actually encourage you to look at the other passage in the Old Testament that lays out the Ten Commandments, not in Exodus chapter 20, but in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where it refers there, uses this word that I think gives us a, a practical clue on how to observe the Sabbath in our day, because it re refers to guarding the Sabbath. It uses the word guarding to describe how Sabbath-keeping happens. And I think if we're looking to guard the Sabbath— in a way for my own life that has just been experienced through, you know, nothing more spiritual than trial and error, I think that there are four practical steps that we can all take today. So if you're taking notes, you can, you can quickly write these down. Because I think, number one, to guard 
a regular Sabbath requires being proactive in designating in the first place. In English, like book it into your calendar first. Book the day off so that it's not blank and can kind of give you the impression that other things can book in. Make it booked from the beginning. And for those of you, I've talked to a few of you lately, who are to-do list people, actively make a separate to-do list for the Sabbath that you're designating so that you're doing different things and ceasing doing those other things. If you don't book it in from the beginning, it's going to get engulfed with other things, which kind of leads us to step number two, and that is to reassign our other responsibilities, our ordinary everyday things that we're supposed to cease on the Sabbath, reassign those to the other six days. Jeff Mannion was super helpful in helping us understand this a few years ago because he conceded that in his own journey of discovering Sabbath, if you reduce your Sabbath to all of the errands and yard work and car services and dentist appointments that you typically do, oftentimes you're going to be more busy and run more ragged at the end of your Sabbath than you are in those other work days and it kind of defeats the purpose. So we've got to be really disciplined to organize those things in the different spaces of lunches and after works and whatever of the other days of our week so that we can create the space to number three, to embrace the value of rest and replenishment. Once we've done the discipline of carving out a Sabbath and reassigning our other responsibilities, we've got to give ourselves the permission to just be off, to not be productive, to not need to be defined by you are what you do, and to allow ourselves to be relieved from all the guilt I know that there are some of us, because I talked to you, there are some of us who literally cannot allow ourselves to sleep in because we get too guilt-ridden. Even though we've said before, quoting some wise spiritual formation guides and pastors that have said, sometimes the most spiritually significant step that we can take in our growth in following Jesus is to take a nap. Right? The importance of rest and replenishment needs to be embraced in that Health and vitality is stress plus rest so that we can overcome the guilt of carving out a day where we just chill and essentially do nothing. And then if we can do that, I think number four, to get real practical, simply fill the day with what fills you. Simply fill the day with what fills you. The person who's going to be the expert on what is life-giving to you is you as the expert of your life. So if you like being outdoors or like working out or exercising, then give that a try on your Sabbath. If you like being indoors or doing other activities, cooking or reading, well, give that a shot. If, you know, being away from people is energizing to you, then, you know, enjoy some alone time. If being with people is life-giving, especially certain people, then book appointments and, and spend time with them and enjoy them. There's no right or wrong to what it means to enjoy a good Sabbath other than to ceasing to do those regular things and simply allow your soul to be refreshed and recharged and filled. Remember that the expert on your self-care is yourself. And on top of that, if you needed any other reason to embrace the regular rhythm of God's restfulness. I would actually encourage you to go to that second passage in the Old Testament that again refers to the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5 because when it talks about this fourth commandment of Sabbath keeping, it doesn't just provide the command and the specificity and the rationale like we looked at in Exodus chapter 20. It actually makes one more comment on top of that. At the end of the section in verse 15, it says this, remember 
that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. See, in Israel's original context, the Sabbath also served as a reminder that they were no longer under Egyptian slavery anymore. The freedom to not work, the freedom to enjoy God's rhythm of restfulness was a gift to them to remind them that they were no longer slaves. And I wonder for those of us who find it impossible to get off the treadmill or the hamster wheel of our everyday life and routine, what it's going to take for us to finally carve out a day where we can just enjoy God's rest and replenishment the way that his nature and his design of us was meant to enjoy it. I wonder if we can capture that idea that this was meant to remind us that we're actually not slaves anymore. And it kind of begs the question of which voice we're allowing to most influence our lives. In fact, the other day, Mike sent me a tweet. You can see it at the bottom of the screen, the screen where someone tweeted these two different voices, the voice of Pharaoh that says, get back to your work, and the voice of Jesus that says, I will give you rest. Whose voice are you allowing to define your life? You know, we might have started this conversation thinking that it's pretty bizarre that taking a day off would be considered like 10 commandment worthy, especially when you consider that the punishment for not observing that commandment is the death penalty. But I wonder if we're honest with ourselves and we think about the times where we most violate that in our own lives and we most succumb to the treadmill and the hamster wheel and the oppression of just work and work and stress and stress on top of it. And, and we consider what our life is like in those seasons maybe even right now, in our most worn down, burnt out, exhausted, depleted, irritable, uncaring, impatient version of ourselves. I wonder whether we haven't, without knowing it, been kind of assigning a death penalty of sorts on our own lives by continually choosing to rob ourselves of the full vitality of the way that God intended us to experience and enjoy life? Have we been assigning our own death penalty by refusing to embrace the gift that Sabbath is intended to be for us, a gift that is intended to be for us, not against us? That's what we've got to remember when it comes to observing this command. And then beyond that, to appreciate that it's about more than just us. We titled this morning in this series, Prioritizing Love, because in living out the terms of that covenant relationship that God intends to have with us, that mutual reciprocity where we live out his vision of loving him and loving others, what better way to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and to fully effectively love other people as ourselves than to bring the very best version of ourselves through what Sabbath provides. That's the gift of Sabbath. It's for you, but it's for way more because the gift of Sabbath is ultimately for love. That's why observing God's rhythmic restfulness in the Sabbath day matters so much. 
Let's close in this prayer together. Let's pray. 